time to go big or go home with the division manager of primary residential mortgage in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Now, here's the entrepreneur and mortgage extraordinaire himself, James Harper. What would your mama say? Go big or go home. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to this week's podcast of Go Big or Go Home. We are coming to you from our secret headquarters in beautiful Hendersonville, Tennessee. I'm James Harper, and my goal is to help you discover who you really are and what you are meant to do in your next chapter of this thing called life. So, uh, as I've always said in all my previous episodes, I want you to sit back and listen. Uh, and, And today, I actually want you to probably get a pen and paper. Uh, and listen to our very special guests uh, for the next 45 minutes and think bigger and more exciting things for yourself. Um, I believe that everything is possible um, if you look forward and not in the rearview mirror. Uh, that's, that's one of my key things, and I always like to deposit my excuses at the front door, and I encourage all the listeners out there today to do the same thing. So keep an open mind. Um, really listen to some of the content that we're about to uh, share with you today with this special guest. And uh, if this episode doesn't move you and and make you change your life in some form or fashion and help you, uh, in what I say, get off the bench, then you're just in a static mode of life. You're not really in a dynamic uh, state of mind or state of life. So listeners, ladies and gentlemen out there, please get your pen and paper, as I said, uh, and let's get ready for this podcast. Let's, uh, you're going to hear all kinds of uh, nuggets that you can take away, uh, that you can share uh, with others, that you can uh, motivate yourself in some form or fashion. Um, and I never get tired of hearing this man. Uh, I go to him almost on a, a weekly or, or monthly basis, either through podcasting or uh, personal phone calls or his uh, monthly coaching programs live. And uh, he supported me in my business, and I really uh, he, I really appreciate him being here today. I want to welcome Coach Burt to the show, Coach Michael Burt to the show. And uh, thanks for coming. Yay. Yeah, yay. man. Glad to be we, here. We appreciate you uh, uh, taking time out of your schedule. You're, have, you're a very busy man. Uh, you are literally uh, coaching uh, and promoting your program called Monster Producers all over the country. Uh, so literally uh, either uh, planes, trains, and automobiles all day, every day, uh, promoting your message, mm-hmm. your message about how to get people in a better state of mind, a better place. And uh, some of the things I just kind of made note of, that uh, you are a master motivator, uh, not only in my eyes, but obviously really in the world, uh, you're selling, you're promoting, you're advocating machine of this multi-million dollar company and brand called Monster Producers. Um, the name says it all, really. Uh, you've uh, basically uh, branded the legacy selling system within the Monster Producers, which I'm sure you'll talk a little bit about here later on. And uh, what's really interesting about the Monster Producer program uh, and I know we'll get, we'll deep dive into this in a little while, but you take young entry level business minded individuals to uh, really seasoned entrepreneurs to even corporate teams and uh, in, in large speaking events. So it's really uh, up and down the ladder of who you help today. So for all the listeners out there, 
if you're ever interested in learning more about Co- uh, Coach Michael Burt and the Monster Producer Program, uh, this is not just for the seasoned entrepreneur. Am I correct there? Yeah, I mean, my basic philosophy in life is simple. Everybody needs a good coach in their life. A good coach can take you to places you didn't even think you wanted to go to. So it doesn't matter if it was in my high school coaching days when I was a women's basketball coach coaching those young ladies and how to win championships or today coaching a new startup business that's just trying to figure it out or coaching a $5 billion division of a company that's trying to get to $7 billion. The concepts are the same. It doesn't matter if I'm with a car dealership one day and a mortgage originator the next day and an insurance company the next day and, a, and you know retail store owners the next day. We all have to explain our services. We all have to go out and get customers. We all have to follow up. We all have to try to get referrals. And really, we all need to be people of interest that are attracting new opportunity to us. That's universal. Absolutely, absolutely. And so some of the other key uh, uh, highlights for Coach Burt as he's written several books, um, which you can um, go out and uh, search the web. And, and what's your website? CoachBert.com. CoachBert.com. And he's written several books, as I mentioned, and worked with some big names like Grant Cardone, Bradley, Tim Story, and Dr. Uh, Kevin Elko, to name a few. And if you don't know who those players are or who those individuals are, certainly you can Google them and know that they're big time as well. Uh, He was also recently a keynote speaker at the National 10X Conference in Las Vegas. Uh, It was actually last year, correct, Mm -hmm. I believe, Mm -hmm. and um, really took over the stage. So uh, that's some of the background of Coach Michael Burt. We want to really dig into uh, his history and how he uh, didn't just start, wake up one day and be a multi-million dollar company. Uh, He had to start with a vision, and he started with things that started really early in his childhood. And one of the things I talk uh, about a lot about on this show, Coach, is um, uh, people that are afraid to jump, mm-hmm. uh, that they're afraid to uh, take that initial risk. They're afraid to get off the bench mm-hmm. uh, for fear of failing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have failed. Um, and I think you uh, hear a lot of entrepreneurs out there today that have failed many times before they actually succeed. Mm-hmm. Some of them have succeeded and then failed. Mm-hmm. And had the fortitude to get back up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always start off by let's 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 go back. Let's go back in time. Mm-hmm. Let's go back and hear a little bit about how Coach Michael Burt was as a kid. Um, I always talk about uh, you know some of the things I did from selling cheese and sausage uh, mm-hmm. and being the top sales cheese and sausage. Uh, um, student in my middle school mm-hmm. to paper routes and all that sort of thing then and i really had a knack for wanting to make money and and selling and uh so tell us your story uh obviously you uh started out in uh, girls basketball coaching i know you'll kind of get into that but that really wasn't your passion in life tell us your story about how you started out in your childhood and what what changed as you went through your sure I was raised by a single mother who had me when she was 16 years old. Uh, My dad was 18. She was 16. And uh, they quickly, they married for a year, I think primarily because my granddad told them they were going to get married. And they got divorced very quickly. And so I'm raised by a single mom. I got very, at that time, very little relationship with my father. And my mother was a worker, high prey drive, get up and go get it every day, right? Working two and three jobs. And mom would take me down to the local baseball field 
where I would stay for hours and hours and hours. Now, that's very critical to the story because it was at that baseball field at six years old, uh, a female baseball coach, which is really odd. Most of the coaches were men. And there was one woman named Mickey Vincent, and Mickey Vincent coached me. And, and I remember her. She basically tended to me. She fed me. She took care of me. She made sure I had what I needed because I would be down there for hours and hours and hours because it's like a babysitting service, right? Like mom was working. <laughs> it's a cheap babysitting service. But Mickey Vincent said to me, son, and I remember it like it was yesterday, and I'm 43 years old. So for me to remember this, it was a, a, a story of origin. Son, one of these days you're going to be a great coach. That's what she said to me at six. Now, many years later, I said, why did you see that in me? If you study the concept of unique ability, unique ability is typically detected very early in life. It is typically detected by other people. It is it is a natural birthday gift that you have, right, that maybe you have opened or not opened. I couldn't see that I was going to be a great coach, but she could. And she affirmed and validated that in me. Now, I asked her many years later, why did you see that at six years old? She said, you were always curious. You always showed up early. You always stayed late. You always asked questions. You're always coaching the other kids. Like, I knew you were going to be a coach. So that's the big revelation that I had at six. At 15, I started coaching junior pro basketball. But you're thinking in your mind at this point, I'm just going to be, you know, a coach. Like a yeah. coach, not not a necessarily a life coach or business coach. You're just thinking coach. I, and I wouldn't even think of that at that time. Like, <laughs> I, I was just a kid. <laughs> yeah. but, but at 15, my, when I was a high school basketball player, my high school coach called me professor. He said, man, the way you think, you ana- you're constantly analyzing, you're studying. He said, you're the greatest student of the game that I've ever coached. And so at 15, I get a phone call from one of those little league baseball coaches, and he said, hey, I'm coaching a junior pro basketball team. Will you help me coach this team? And I said, I would love to. So I got dressed up in a suit to coach junior pro basketball. You got to put this in context. I'm 15 years old. I'm coaching nine to 12-year-old kids, and I look like Pat Riley, you know, (laughs) like, like all these other dads are coaching, and it's me, and I'm yelling and screaming and jumping up and down and right but but I knew the second I started doing that at 15 that was what I was supposed to do okay now I may have pumped gas at 16 years old to make some money and I may have worked as a bank teller at 18 years old to make some money but I knew my destiny was to be a coach and that started out James as an as an athletic coach so at 18 years old I became an elementary basketball coach that's where I really learned to sell that was my first sales job selling them on let me have that job at 18 they paid me $199.50. I was the head coach at Woodbury Grammar School. Technically, I wasn't head coach because they couldn't let a kid be the head coach. So another guy was the head coach, but I really did all the coaching. <laughs> yeah. And we won a championship in my first year. So they paid me $199. And one of my principles is every day with your current customer is an interview for your next customer. Every day in your current job is an interview for your next job. People are watching, critiquing, evaluating. And so I coached that team like I was coaching in the, in the NBA. At 19 years old, I get a phone call. This is where the referrals come in. And it was the head coach at Riverdale High School, which is a powerhouse in Tennessee. Uh, And he said, I've heard about you. I've heard you're this young little whippersnapper. Will you come down to Riverdale and be one of my assistant coaches? And I, being a 19-year-old, asked what any good 19-year-old would ask, which was, how much are you going to pay me to come down there? Like, I'm already making $199.50, man. You may not even be able to afford me. (laughs) And he laughed, and he's like, kid, I like your spunk. We're going to pay you 2000 bucks. And he paid me 2000 bucks, and I became an assistant coach at Riverdale at 19 while I was going to college at Middle Tennessee State University. So I'd go to college. I'd go to my job. I'd go to college. I'd go to my job. And I was this right. I became this dude's right-hand man, right? Behind every great number one is a great number two. 
And I'm studying a guy named Stephen Covey who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And that is very important to today because I coach people through principles, through timeless principles, through uh, the whole person theory. I learned that between 18 and 25 years old. So I'm going to stop you right there. And you made a very – so that for all the listeners, this is a very key thing to write down and pay attention in, and put it in quotations. Story of origin. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. Story of origin. What does that mean? What does that really mean? You kind of glossed over that yep. very fast. Yep. But story of origin is very huge when you're trying to find out what's your highest and best use in life, right? Yeah, when you get media coaching, like I've had media coaching from like some of the top media coaches in New York City. I'm talking to prepare me for a show I'm going to be on where a million people are watching it, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things they coach you on or what or what call or what's called stories of origin. These are big moments in your life mm-hmm. that are game changers for you. Game changers, yes. And you go back to those when you're telling stories. Like if you if I was speaking tonight to ten thousand people, you would hear me tell the same story I just told you. Raised by a single mom. My mom had me when she was sixteen years old. My parents divorced. Right? Now why would I say that? Because it connects to people. To all the people in the room raised by a single mom, to all the people that have divorced parents, to all the people that have had hardship in their life. I've already connected with their heart. So the story of origin are these big moments in your life. Like me speaking at 10X to 10,000 people. That was a big part of my story. This was a key, pivotal moment of my life. So these stories of origin can be good, happy, sad. Absolutely. It's just a key moment. So what everything I just told you is part of my story. At six years old, I had a revelation. At 15, I started coaching. At 18, I got my first job. At 19, I went to Riverdale, right? Who, who did I study from 18 to 25? Stephen Covey. What happened at 25? I wrote my first book. Like So when you're telling these stories, it's very important. You know, Tie it into the concept of go big or go home. I think about the word courage. Courage is the, the willingness to confront uncertainty. It is the ability to do something that scares you to death. Anybody who's ever done anything big in the world has got a boatload of courage, right? Their whole motto is go big or go home. Mm-hmm. Like they will not go small. Like they will not allow themselves to play small. And so I was kind of building over the last 27 years since I was 15, 28 years now. I've been building this courage and confidence and and, and to what I have today. And I have a, I have a level of certainty about me that I know. If you do what I'm telling you to do, you will produce at a higher frequency. There's no doubt in my mind. There's not one one percent of doubt that creeps into my mind when it comes to this. All right, that's great and that's awesome. But it probably wasn't always that way. No, it probably wasn't always that way. So let's we're going to still rewind back to when you were uh, uh, in your coach your first coaching stint, mm-hmm. and maybe you had a season that didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. Maybe you uh, felt felt like you weren't motivating people the way that in your mind you felt like they should be motivating themselves or 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 getting the output that you wanted um and you probably questioned yourself a lot you mm. probably questioned yourself as to man is this am i just not delivering the right message am i not uh, am i not communicating properly uh is there something wrong with me um why can't i get them to succeed the way i feel like they should be able to succeed or what their own potential is so you start having self-doubt creep in Mm -hmm. um and and i realize even as big as you are today there's probably still days you wake up and man 
I just have a little, I'm a little uneasy with yeah. the way I'm doing something. Sure. Part of that's fear. Part of that's just, that's right. you know, that little negative, uh, uh, one of our fellow friends always says that little negative guy sitting on your shoulder. That's right. Just uh, kind of barking in your ear. So what do you think? What do you think about when you were back in that time frame um, when you felt kind of that way and that emotion? Yeah, I think back to two two moments. When I went to college at 18 years old, I was very insecure. I, I wore a oh, baseball. I wore, very interesting. Yeah, I wore a baseball hat. I sat on the back row. I came from a real small town, and I went from being like somebody in the small town to being nobody at a university. And I sat on the back row. I didn't talk to people. I didn't join any fraternities. I didn't talk to girls. Like I was scared to death of everybody. And and I was so. Where, in, where do you think that came from? I, I think I think it was because my little small town had never exposed me to something that big. I had never gone to a big city. I'd never been on an airplane. I'd never been traveled. Like now, I travel all over the world, right? But at that time, we grew up poor. We did. We went. We vacationed in the same place every year, which was Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We stayed at the same. <laughs> Nothing against Gatlinburg. Nothing, listen, I've owned places in Gatlinburg. I get it. We stayed at the same freaking Best Western because it had a uh, indoor swimming pool, and 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 that was my life. It was like this, like like I was a little in a little pond. So when I go to this university and there's twenty three thousand people there man, I'm shy and nervous, and I sit on the back row, and and um, I, I try to play under the radar. Like, I was totally insecure. Now, in my coaching, I was confident. Like, I'd go coach, and I'd be like, man, I know what I'm doing. I've been coaching since I was 15, right? Mm-hmm. But in my personal life, my social life, I remember, were, there, an introvert. I remember there was a girl named Summer Kirk that I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to ask out so badly, <laughs> and I didn't have the guts. And one night, I finally got the courage to call her and she answered the phone and I hung up <laughs> and I would see her in class and I'm like Summer Kirk is so beautiful she you know and and but I was scared to death James so that's one moment the second moment I tell you about is when I was 25 years old and I was I fell in love with the person I thought I was supposed to marry I bought an engagement ring before I gave her the engagement ring she broke up with me and I was devastated and when I say devastated clinically depressed couldn't get out of bed threw up every morning to start my day had enormous amounts of guilt because I thought I had created this problem. Like, I did something wrong. This is the woman I was supposed to marry. I've done something wrong to screw it up. And I harbored so much guilt of that. And that mm. really wasn't what happened. She wasn't mature enough. She didn't want to get married. She wanted to be wild, right? So I went through this breakup and rejection. And, man, I it, it was a low moment in my life. Now, the reason it's important for the person listening to this is because of that, I begin to rebuild my confidence. I begin to study confidence at a ridiculous level. I begin to put it into to a scientific formula, which would cause me to write the book Swag. I would have never written the book Swag if I hadn't gone through the breakup, if I hadn't lost all of my confidence. And at the end of the day, here's what you learn. Never place all of your confidence in another person's hands. Never allow another person to control your destiny. Wow, that's good because uh, I think a lot of listeners out there that might be one of their excuses today. You know, you know when we want to de- deposit our excuses at the door, that's probably one of them. I would recommend that you deposit at the door right there. Is don't let your happiness, don't let your mm-hmm. your opportunity uh, be limited because of someone else's. Yep. Um, what, what would yeah, be the what, word? What, well, yeah, don't don't place your destiny in another person's hands. Yeah, it's dangerous. So I'm going to spin off of that right there into a very, this is another nugget. Here's another nugget from the show. 
and this also comes from some of coaches' training. And we're going to say that uh, we're going to talk about this word called kryptonite. Yeah. Man, he brings that up in, in some of his uh, coaching programs uh, or um, training sessions. And so what just happened, what he just described with this bad breakup and engagement was his kryptonite. Mm-hmm. It, was the, it was the rejection that he received from it and how that was kryptonite from him being able to move forward until he realized and woke up one day that that's not going to be my kryptonite anymore. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my kryptonite, uh, one of them uh, that I actually was going through some of my notes from a past, uh, you know, past uh, session that you had, my kryptonite was I got cut from the basketball team. Uh, in 10th grade and I was devastated I mean I didn't think I could go to school I was embarrassed I mean here's this first form of rejection I'd never been cut and I'd played basketball my whole entire life and here I was being told I wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. and I carried that all the way through in in business to some extent I would get to a certain point and then kind of quit and not want to go to that next level not necessarily quit just not thinking there's even something higher and better because that kryptonite would creep in there. What do you say to that that word? Well, we You've all, used that a lot. Yeah, we all have kryptonite. Superman had kryptonite, right? Was it Lex Luger? They call me Superman now. I'm trying to save yeah, these yeah, loan yeah, deals. Yeah. Because I can put the puzzle together. Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's ironic how uh, my staff calls me Superman because of when something goes wrong or it can't be put back together, I come in and try to save yeah. it. And uh, I've overcome that kryptonite. Yeah. So it's ahead. it's just something that holds you back. You know, it's something that typically from your past that has happened or you believed or someone said to you that you're not good enough. It's a kryptonite. It's your low on confidence or you can't take action or you don't have courage or, you know, we all have that kryptonite. And if we recognize what it is, I think it's real important that we recognize what it is, Right. And, and for me, at that time in my life, my confidence was tied up in how that girl felt about me. Now, here's the problem with that. If your confidence is tied up in how another person feels about you, what if they don't feel good about you that day? What if you'd have a great day at work and nobody tells you you did a great job? Mm-hmm. Is you, is, does that, should that affect your confidence? Like, what if I go out and crush it and I speak and a person doesn't like it? Does that mean I wasn't good? So I think what you got to start doing is you got to start working to self-satisfy yourself. You don't need the accolades or praise from other people for your worth. Your self-worth is not dependent on what another person thinks about you. Because when you start helping a lot of people, James, some are going to like you, some are not going to like you. So So what? what? I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good the book you write is. I don't care how many people you've helped. I don't care how many lives you changed. Somebody is going to have a problem with you. So your confidence cannot be too high when people tell you how good you are. And your confidence can never get too low when people don't think you're that good. you got to stay steady with your confidence, man. All right, so listeners out there, there's something else you need to write down. Some will, some won't, so what? Say that to yourself each and every day, uh, no matter what the circumstance is that's bothering you. And some will, some won't, so what? That pertains to sales. That pertains to someone liking you, not liking you. That pertains to maybe something going on with your family, your career. Some will, some won't, so what? Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to move on a little bit to uh, our next topic here that we would like to get your words of wisdom and, and, um, and uh, 
What were some of the risks that you took that failed? You know, and I and I want to I want to hear. I don't even know this. So, what are some of the risks that you took that failed, and you had to bounce back? So let's which think. Is another key word. Let, let's think about failure. Is I say we don't lose, we just learn. Good. Okay. Here, here's a here, here's a risk that I took that hasn't worked out yet. A few years ago, I had a vision for building greatness factories. I felt like it was a vision from God. I felt like like this is going to be part of my legacy. By the I'm, way, the greatness factory is part of the monster program. That's correct. That's correct. Which. Um, Basically, is uh, the the theory behind that is to have one central location mm-hmm. for all different disciplines of of career and people to be able to come and network and share energy together. That's right. Right. So, so if we're in Hendersonville, Tennessee, when a person makes a decision to become great in any area of their life—body, mind, heart, or spirit—see, that's a big anchor to the greatness factory. That's part of my philosophy. So if they want to get better for the body, there's a gym there. If they want to get better for the mind, there's training. There's training and coaching. If they want to get better for the heart, there's places to network, relationship. If they want to get better for the spirit, there's a spiritual piece to it. So, you know, I had this vision for the Greatness Factory, and, I mean, I I had it clear, clear vision. This is what you're supposed to do. So I went to Nashville, Tennessee, and I got one of the top architects in Nashville that had designed a lot of the cool, really cool restaurants in Nashville. I spent $90,000 on the plans mm. this is for we, before we built one thing mm. and that's in cash by the way you don't yeah, borrow yeah. You, you don't borrow that money that's ninety thousand out of my pocket to do this and i had no idea what it was going to cost i just kept they kept designing it and just redesigning <laughs> it and this the next thing you know it's 15 here and it's 50 60 here hey these engineers you know they 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 so the next thing you know i spent ninety thousand bucks on this thing before i even have a piece of land to build it on so then I go buy a half a million dollar piece of land to build it on. Then I, I take this cool architectural piece that, I mean, is so unique. It's like it's from another planet, like the design of the building. It's like New York City. It's like Chicago. It's like, it's like, it's like way more progressive than even Nashville. And I take it to my city in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and the city planning commission goes, there is no way we're ever going to pass a building that looks like that. It is so much more advanced. They said it's the most progressive set of plans they had ever seen in the city of Murfreesboro. I never knew that. Yeah. So so they wouldn't pass it. So they're like, you got to modify it. You got to redesign it. And I'm like, man, I've already spent $90,000 designing this. Like, I'm not redesigning it. The whole purpose of the, it's not called the mediocre factory or the <laughs> complacency <love> <laughs> factory. It's like, this is a place that people who want to be great are going to come to. And it's going to be the best people in every city and there's going to be millions of dollars of exchange and energy and people are going to fly in from all over the world to see this place and they said we don't care we want it to look like everything else in murfreesboro you got you got to dumb it down which is Mm. which is stupid Mm. for all the people listening it's Mm. stupid Mm. you can't go big if everything you're doing is about looking like everybody else that's right so so what i did is i still own the land i still have the plans and i put those on hold for a couple of years while i've been trying to figure out some things um, is Murfreesboro is is my home city progressive enough for this concept, or does it need to only be in big cities? Nashville, Chicago, New York City, Miami, L.A. Do, do, you know, what if we added a kids component to it? Because I got these programs for kids. Could that help g- generate data? I mean, generate money? Could it? Could, do I need to bet on people wanting to be great? Because nine out of ten people may not want to be great. They may. I may sell more tickets to the complacency factory than the greatness factory. <laughs> now, now, my point is. 
is that a failure? A lot of people would look at that and go, man, coach, you spent a hundred thousand, then you bought a five hundred thousand dollar note that you're I'm paying on every month. Still. And yeah. I and I haven't generated a dollar. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to raise the money, James, correctly. Mm-hmm. Now I'm dealing with bigger players, and they're like, oh, you could, we could raise three and a half million bucks in a week if you just packaged it up correctly. Like I was trying to raise the money for my friends. Right. Like I was going to my friends and saying, hey, would you like to give $100,000 to this? And, and it's a 6 or 7% return. You'd own 4% equity in the building. And some of my friends said, yeah, I'll give you 100000 bucks." Yeah. But, but this guy that I've been working with out of Houston, Texas, is like – Look, you could raise a three and a half million bucks, put none of your own money in. You just don't know how to do it. That's what I know how to do, right? And so when you say what is a big failure, I don't consider that a failure. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. And I've learned a lot through that process. Like I, like I should have sat down with people and talked about what can I pass through the city. I should have sat down with builders and said, how much is it going to cost for me to build this? Like I didn't know to do all those things. Well, a very similar story is uh, I don't for any of those that have followed – uh, Joel Osteen, when he went to buy the uh, uh, the Houston Arena, uh, you know all the city planners and and what have you wouldn't they thought it, they thought it would never work there to have a church that big that would fill up an arena, and not to mention all the renovations that would have to take place to some extent to be able to have that kind of concept there. And look at him today; mm-hmm. he kept he kept being told no time and time and time again. Yeah, he failed or got rejected several times in his life, and he just had this vision. He had this vision that that was going to be his church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that will happen to you, my friend. Uh, it's just a matter of time and then God's plan mm-hmm. when it's going to happen. So uh, that's a good story. So what? one of the things I want to kind of hit on um, is every day a lot of people wake up, and they're in the defensive mode instead of the offensive mode. You have another session on just this topic alone. Um, But to all the listeners, uh, what are some of the things that they can do to be in an offensive state versus a defensive state? I love to hear you share some of the funny stories of of how people kind of wake up and walk into their job and, uh, oh, no, what's going to happen now? What's going to come at me? What, you know, so I'll let you take it from there. Most people play defense in their lives, meaning they don't have a plan they don't come into the they don't spend any time on the weekend thinking about what they're going to manifest this week. They don't have a strategy. They haven't mental mapped, which which is what I do a lot on Sundays. They really come into the day in a reactive mindset. Yeah, reactive. Yeah. And so they end up not getting the results they want. They blame it on bad luck. <laughs> and they they're mad at everybody else when the reality is all things are created twice, first mentally then physically. You go there in the mind before you go there in the body. Meaning, you got to go there in the mind first. You got to get up and get ready. So I'm big on the planning, mental mapping, coming into every day with a hit list and a farm club and a top 25. And I used to have a rule when I was a basketball coach that we wanted to get the ball to the midline in less than 2.3 seconds. <laughs> So that means we're always on offense. offense. We're always pushing. We're always coming at you. Then I started my business, and I noticed that most people play complete defense. They don't think about their work at all on the weekend. Basically, here's here's my philosophy, and and I'm not trying to offend anybody that listens to the show, but I coach a lot of people. Low-performance people spend the weekends escaping from their lives. Mm. And I know because from 20 to 30 minutes, I was a low-performance person. Drank too much, stayed out too late hung over over the weekend, come into Monday with no plan, 
And, and I was still considered a high-performance person, but knowing what I know today, I wasn't a high-performance person. Now I spent Saturdays rejuvenating, restoring, reading, listening to podcasts, studying successful people. That's a hobby to me. Then I come into Monday. Then I spend about two to four hours every Sunday preparing for my week. I completely map out my week. What am I doing on what days? I'm fanatical about my time and energy. I I come into the day on offense. Now I come into the weeks rejuvenated, on fire, because I want to be a high-performance person. And high-performance people spend their weekends differently than low-performance people. Now, that doesn't mean that high-performance people don't have any fun because tomorrow night, so Friday night, I'm going to the Luke Combs concert, and trust me, I'm going to have some fun. Yeah, sure. And I don't get to have as much fun as I used to because (laughs) now I've got something scheduled every day of my life. i got to be somewhere coaching somebody. So every now and then, old coach likes to have just a little bit of fun. But but, but fun is just one small component to, to, to my life. I'm really very interested in impact. I'm really very interested in how many people I can help on planet Earth. And so because of that, I want to be in an offensive position. I don't want any regret. I don't want to get 20 years. Like, let's say I don't build the greatness factory for whatever reason. What happens 20 years from today when I regret it? And Mm -hmm. I go, man, I knew that was a vision. I I believe God gave me that vision, and I ignored it. And that was part of my legacy. But I didn't do it because I didn't have the courage to do it. Or I was going to have to raise some capital to do it. Or the city told me no the first time. Like, that ain't going big. I mean that's going home, you know. That's right. So, so I think, I think that's what you got to think. If you're going to play offense in life, you wake up with purpose and intention, and you attack, like a cheetah attacks. They don't wait. When they wake up in the morning, they know what they're going you to go get. Zero to sixty, pretty quick. And they go get it. They go get it. And that's that's the kind of people I'm coaching. I'm trying to get them in an offensive position. And so, I'm a big believer that a lot of uh, listeners out there that have that cheetah mentality but the it's suppressed oh yeah it's suppressed in some way mm-hmm. um because maybe it, it is their relationship maybe it is their their financial situation maybe it's their um their 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 job you know maybe they're in a toxic um job or um something that just doesn't help them get out of that funk um so how do you get that cheetah out of yeah. of someone to help them. It's get a great going. question. Maybe the best question you've asked me so oh, far. Oh man, wow, that's a good question. Wow, we're gonna we're, let me see if I can keep that up. We're gonna refer to that as prey drive. The cheetah inside of a person I refer to as prey drive. Prey drive, P R E Y, drive is an instinctual ability to see something with the eyes optically or in the mind, and to have the courage to go get it. The courage animals have prey drive. Dogs have prey drive. Uh, cheetahs have prey drive. They are they are have this ability to see it and attack. Okay? Well humans have this. I believe after coaching thousands of people is it is inside every one of us to to want to go get something. We are hardwired to take dominion, to go get it. Well what happens is I think about my seven year old daughter. Mm. When you tell my daughter no to something she is relentless in coming at you in different ways. Like she <laughs> she doesn't accept no. You tell her no, and it's on. She's going to try for the next hour in every angle she can get to get it. Very so good. so here's what happens. But but what happens is you start telling kids slow down, be careful, like like don't you know don't touch. you want other all the other kids to like you. Don't be aggressive. 
like because you got to fit in. Our school systems tell the kids this: don't stand out, fit in. What's the city of Murfreesboro telling me? Fit in, don't stand out. You know. So what happens is the prey drive is kind of beat out of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. What I want to do is reactivate. And if you ask me to sum up, Coach Burt, what out of everything you do, what is the number one thing you're known for? What do you want to be known for? I want to be known as the number one activator of prey drive in the world. Meaning, when people see me speak or they hear me, it activates this drive in them to want to go get something, to want to get better, to want to expand. It's a curiosity, right? It's an awakening. You know, Tommy Davidson was on your show, yes. who's a guy I coach. Yes, and, and when I started coaching him, he didn't have any prey drive. He, he was goofing off. Drinking beer all the time, chasing women. <laughs> he did talk about that. Um, you, you know, he was doing forty-five real estate deals a year, making seventy or eighty thousand dollars, and 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 through the coaching, his prey drive was activated. His curiosity, he's like, man, I maybe I can play at a higher level, and he and he started learning and studying and skilling up. That dude is now doing almost more deals in a month than he did a whole year when I first started him. You know, he's going to do one hundred sixty deals. He just passed over forty million bucks of production you know some months he's making over a hundred thousand dollars himself personally and he would tell you when you say what did coach bird do for you i activated, activated his prey it. drive it so, wasn't like there was any secret sauce it, no there are there are i say there's five activators of prey drive competition is an activator of prey drive mm-hmm. fear of loss is an activator of prey drive um environment can be an activator of prey drive inspired by others can be an activator of prey drive um these are all activators of prey drive when you're thinking about this okay compensation for some people is an activator of prey drive embarrassment is mm-hmm. an activator of prey drive if you watch the garth brooks special i don't know if anybody has watched this you know in the studio but if you haven't watched this new documentary about garth brooks it's on a and e and it basically tells the whole garth brooks story he sold over 100 million albums well when Garth Brooks was a little baby star in Oklahoma, his fans paid for him to come to Nashville to be a big star. And he came to Nashville, and he took one meeting, and in that one meeting, they told him, boy, you just need to go back to Oklahoma. And he got in his truck and drove all the way back <laughs> yeah. to Oklahoma. In 24 hours, he quit in less than 24 hours on his dream. So he goes home to his dad, and his dad says something really, really hard to him. He wouldn't even repeat in the interview what his dad said to him. He said he wasn't trying to be mean, but what he said to me lit a fire in me like you can't imagine. Now, Mm. I know from being a coach, what his dad did was activate that prey drive. And his dad probably said, son, I can't believe you don't have any more guts than that. Did I raise you to quit within 24 hours? Like that one comment. So here's my point to you. Sometimes you hear something from another person and boom, it hits you. And it's like it activated my drive. Yeah, it's never, and he's never looked back uh, for sure. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, there is a, there's, there's so much that we could go into just on prey drive itself. Um, and I, and I, I agree, coach. I mean, that is just one thing that um, I believe that everybody has within themselves that you just have to be able to activate it. Something has to trigger it. And sometimes getting to that, that point of where it will trigger is the hardest part, right? Yeah. And sometimes you can't necessarily do it. No. Uh, but you can just plant those seeds of what might activate it or might what might bring it to light. Um, so let's talk about being a person of interest now. 
this is a big, you wrote a book on this, just on this topic alone, a person of interest. Um, so now as you start jumping, as you've now jumped into something that you really want to do and you're passionate about, um, whether that's being artistic, you know, doing art to starting a small boutique shop to a manufacturing plant or something in sales, real estate, whatever. Now we're, now we're often going with our business, but we don't know really how to, um, brand ourselves and promote ourselves. This is where person of interest comes along and, uh, maybe you can just highlight something, some things about being a person of interest. Well, once you have a concept or idea, it may be the greatest concept in the world. You may be the best in the world at it, but if nobody some of them suck, but if some of them do suck, <laughs> yeah. and as as Dabo Swinney always said, you got to suck the sour to get to the sweet. Sometimes, yeah. That well, the it doesn't matter how good it is if nobody knows who you are. Okay, and being becoming a person of interest. Let's say I come over to Hendersonville, Tennessee. I don't live here. I don't spend a lot of time here. I roll into town and teach one day. I spend very little time and no money in this market. Mm-hmm. You follow me? Mm-hmm. So, so you could walk around this mall area and say, "Do you know who Coach Michael Bird is?" And people can go, "No, I have no idea who he is." What's the likelihood of them buying any of my books? What's the likelihood of them coming to my coaching program? What's the likelihood of the, me ever exchanging any money with them because they don't know me? person of interest is about becoming known in the world if you like think of being famous right Mm -hmm. like i was interviewing i was supposed to interview this girl the other day who was on the show billions and she was in mama's house too she was a star right and uh when i was looking at her bio i'm like dang this 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 chick is somebody (laughs) right like they sent me her bio i didn't know how big she was like she was in the show billions which is one of my favorite shows and and uh the minute that I knew she was on those shows, her person of interest score did what? Went up. Boom. Went she's, up. she's famous. Yeah. I'm about to interview a famous person. When a person comes to Nashville and they're singing on Broadway and they want to be a big star, the problem is they're not famous. Now, when they become famous, they go from making 400 bucks a night to $4 million a night. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the cool part. It's literally just 100 yards away. Yeah. Like, like if you're playing at Legends or Tootsies or any of those places, literally – when you become famous, you just walk across the street and play at Bridgestone Arena. And and what you make in a night is so much more ridiculous. It's the same person singing the same songs. But what's different? Now they're famous. So the question becomes, how do you become famous? How do you become known? How do you become celebrated? In a world of Instagram today, in a world of LinkedIn, in a world of Facebook, being famous is not you have to be in the movies anymore. Being famous is how many people feel connected to you. Feel connected, right. If you follow me on Instagram and you follow my whole life and you feel connected to me, then in in some ways I am a person of interest to you. Now at some point, if you like enough of my Instagram and enough of my videos, you're going to buy something from me. You're going to say, I'm going to buy his book. I'm going to go to his workshop. I'm going to fly on a plane with him. Whatever, right? Like, like, So person of interest is kind of this concept of I want to become a known entity in the world. Nobody's done this better than Trump. Look at what yes. Trump look, look, – part of the reason Trump became elected for president is 96% of Americans knew who he was. That's right. I look at these candidates that are running whether for Whether you pre- liked him or not. Whether you liked him or not, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So so when I look at these candidates now for president, I don't even know half of them. That's I don't right. know their names. I don't know where they're from. They're not famous for anything. So what happens is at the end of the day, the people who get the most attention typically win. So that's and, the concept. And uh, 
not to get political, but Donald Trump does not care. No. Whether you like him or not. It, it, he's just becoming a person of he, interest. He actually knows, and he's been doing this for years. Yeah. He's been polarizing for years. So here's the point. He knows that having an opinion is better than having no opinion. And when you have an a opinion, uh, some people are not going to like it. So, but, 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 but who cares when you don't even have one? So he picks a strong stance. He puts it out there. He knows 50% of the people are going to be against it. 50% are going to be for it. But here's what he knows. Every news channel every day is talking about Donald Trump. Okay, so let's let's talk about that real quick because you say, uh, you've brought this up before um, in one of the events where you have said, one of the things I learned about social media is I thought everybody liked me. Yeah. And then when I have 5,000 people that like me, but then I have that one person that gives me some negative comments or whatever, I had to get used to that. Yeah. I think when you, when everybody likes you, it's a pretty good indicator you're not helping enough people. Your friends don't really say mean things to you. Right. You only start seeing mean things. Like now, we had one of my videos that maybe got two or 300,000 views, you know, and um, man, some of the comments. <laughs> they talked about me, my wife, my kid, my accent, my my lack of hair, my, you know, I mean, you, you know, how tall I Unrelated was. Unrelated to the topic. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with the topic. <laughs> like, like, just mean. You, you know what I'm saying? Just, just pure meanness. Well, you don't see that when you, when you have a video that has four views on it, right? You see it when you have a video that has 200,000. And I look at these country music. We could pull up any country music video right now that's got 30 million views. And there's probably 30 or 40,000 people that said, I don't like it. What do you care when you got 30 million? Mm -hmm. What do you care that, like, it seems like a big number, like 26,000 people didn't like it? Well, 30 million people watched it. Mm -hmm. So who cares? And I think this is a... Some will, some This what? is part of going big. Yep. Part of going big is li leaving behind your little thinking. You can't go big if little's got you. You can't have a poor man's mentality. That's right. Well, good. Well, one... One thing I just want to leave with, and uh, this is the last thing, and I, man, I we could sit here and talk for mm -hmm. a, for a long time, and and just really go deep and and go big or go home. But uh, one one other key thing that I had on my notes today was conviction, mm. and without it, you will basically uh, contract or withdraw or um, just mm -hmm. never move forward. So what? How do you explain conviction to yeah. somebody as it relates to a prey drive um, and how it ties into becoming a person of interest? Man, this is going to be a good question. Yeah. And how you can be on the offense versus defense. Isn't conviction really the start of it all? Okay, so I want you to think of conviction as a deep-seated belief that you have which propels you to take action. So the question becomes, where does the conviction come from? It comes from this cycle. First, you have a big revelation. Revelation is a dramatic moment in your life. Six years old, dramatic moment. Mm -hmm. 15 years old, dramatic moment. Breakdown at 25 years old, dramatic moment, right? First time I crossed over a million dollars of revenue, dramatic moment. Now, those you have this big revelation. It's like, boom, aha, okay. Because of my revelation, I now have conviction because the revelation's so deep, right? Revelation, something has been revealed to me that I didn't know. Now I know it. Now I believe the Revelation it. or conviction then becomes confidence. That's right. And conviction becomes courage, and conviction becomes confidence, and conviction activates prey drive, and conviction makes you want to be a person of interest. And conviction, like when you have conviction, you can sell it. That's really what I'm selling to people. I am selling a set of convictions that with a coach in your life, you're always 
not some of the time. You're always going to perform at a higher level if you got a good coach, right? And so because of that conviction, you ask, why is it so deep in me? Because of the revelation I had at six years old. That's what, 37 years ago. I had this revelation that a good coach can change your life because that's what Mickey Vincent did for me. That's awesome. Well, Coach Michael Burt, we appreciate you being in the studio today. It's always a pleasure. I know your time's very valuable. Was so it the best interview you've ever done? I'm going to ask the crowd. Right? Well, well, it is the best. It is the <laughs> best. Kidding. It's going to be hard to to bring in somebody bigger <laughs> no, and better with more uh, insight than you have. And, uh, man, uh, not only as a coach but as a friend, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. It's very valuable to me. And uh, so a quick plug here, uh, yep. a shameless plug for uh, the monster producers. Let's go ahead and say Absolutely. Well, you know, I, and I would say likewise to you. James Harper's been in our coaching program now for two years. He's at one of the higher levels of our coaching program. And, uh, you know, I think I think when you're looking at who's coaching you, you need to go to people that they've been that they've coached. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to ask James. You need to ask people that Tommy Davidson that's making more money than he's ever made. You need to ask Jason people. Duncan Jason, Jason Duncan. You need to ask people that I have coached. What did Coach Bird do for you, right? Like, don't let me sell you. I, I believe in it. But just look at the people I'm coaching and what they're doing in the world. And most of the ones that are showing up and getting coached are doing big things, okay? So CoachBird.com, you can go there. Monster Producer is the monthly coaching program. It's uh, on a Christmas promotion right now. It's the perfect time to get in. It's 1497 bucks for a whole year of coaching. That's a lot of coaching. And if you don't make all that money back, I'll give all your money back because that's how confident I am in it. And I'm sure if you referenced Go Big or Go Home um, when you called, if the promotion is uh, off at that point, I'm sure you will honor that. I would honor that. Awesome, awesome. All right, so thank you, everyone, for joining the show today. We hope that you are inspired to do something more with your life that brings you happiness and joy. Uh, Let us know how awesome we are by leaving us a five-star review. Um, and so we can keep this content coming your way. Like us on Facebook at Go Big or Go Home with James Harper. Our podcast can be seen on all podcast platforms and also on our website at www.nashvillemortgagemenders.com. Do what your mom said, go big or go home. This is James Harper. Have a great week. Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc., NMLS 3094. James Harper, Division Manager, Primary Residential Mortgage, Hendersonville, Tennessee, NMLS 71317. 131 Saundersville Road, Suite 140, Hendersonville, Tennessee 37075. Primary Residential Mortgage, Inc. is an equal housing lender. Some products and services may not be available in all states. Credit and collateral are subject to approval. Terms and conditions apply. Programs, rates, terms, and conditions are subject to change and are subject to borrowers qualification.